1: a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's
0: Andrew. Bury me, Daddy. Bury me, Daddy. <laughs>
1: that's the that's my first joke <laughs> that I wrote down here. Why would you? Do we could cut that if you want.
0: No, 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 no. That's no. That's funny. I also
1: wrote a giant waste of time, hmm. and our buddy Kaz. You are. Prejudging judging the book a little bit with
0: that second one I think.
1: well i was just trying to make a joke mm-hmm. i was really the joke was andrew
0: is it a giant waste of time uh-huh and i would probably say no i would say no that no you're burying the lead ah see that's what mm-hmm. the,
1: that's you know i didn't workshop these with you ahead of time i apologize welcome to our show where we read a book each week and the other person tells the other person about it And um, we never read the book before. That's usually how it goes. And we're just going to talk about what happens in the book and why you may or may not have heard about it. Mm -hmm.
0: Andrew, what book did you read this week? I read, as you probably have guessed from our very tight (laughs) and and suggestive introductory sequence, The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Yes, that is The book
1: I expected you to read. Thank God. Um, Haven't surprised uh, each other yet. (laughs) No. By bringing
0: a mystery book to the show.
1: Uh, We have covered Ishiguro before on episode 236. I read uh, Never Let Me Go, which was his 2005 novel about a bunch of teenage clones who were in love and maybe were going to die. And um, that was in April 2017. Andrew, we had just one. Our very first Quizzo outing together, (laughs) and
0: you were so hyped about it, we talked about it for five minutes. Wow. Okay. I was hyped about it, and then later that restaurant shut down, and people started having babies, and the band just never... Never really ended up you ended up starting your own Quizzo establishment, sort of to fill the Underground Quizzo Club. Yes. Um so go back and check out uh, sorry, shoot, the rules about how I'm not supposed to talk about it.
1: Dang it. I'm sorry. Dang it. Um but you can go back and listen to that on episode two thirty-six. And also if you uh have read that book and you're interested for a take or you want a little bit of a different flavor of our buddy Kaz um because that's like the story we'll talk about that a little bit more he has bounced around between subject matter and not i won't know if i would say like genre per se but every review of his of a new work of his and certainly every review of this book started with someone going every book of his is kind of different let me spend two paragraphs telling you why
0: yeah i guess it is it is a little hard to say this is what a kazuo ishiguro book is like yeah even genre or even maybe stylistically though this is the first one i've read so i can't say that part for sure but so
1: this was a patreon recommendation from ariel or ariel uh thank you uh you said i just listened to your never let me go episode and i think you guys would really enjoy the buried giant also by good old kaz this book was really polarizing for a lot of critics because it's completely outside of ishiguro's style but i thought it was super interesting i'm a literature student graduating this sunday with my ba well Congratulations from probably how long ago? ago Um, Who specializes in Anglo-Saxon medieval literature? So I really enjoyed this fantasy take on that history. The book kind of has both elements of capital L literature and beautiful prose, but it also kind of follows a D and D quest kind of fantasy storyline. If you decide to read it, I hope you enjoy it. I'll find out if you enjoyed it later. Yeah, you will. Um, What do we know about Mister Ishiguro? Kaz. that we don't already know mm-hmm. uh, i'll do the quick version I, I looked up the his bio on goodreads to make sure i didn't ramble so here we go he is a he is an obe he is sir kazuo ishiguro british novelist of japanese origin nobel laureate in literature in 2017 his family moved to england in 1960 uh he obtained his bachelor's degree from the university of kent and his master's from east anglia uh, he became a british citizen in 1982 lives in london First novel, Pale View of Hills. Uh, Second novel, An Artist of the Floating World. A bunch of prizes. Got the Booker Prize in 1989 for Remains of the Day. Uh, Fourth novel, Unconsoled. And then we're here at the Buried Giant. I think he won the Nobel maybe a few months after we had done that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has some other short story collections. He's written lyrics for jazz musicians. Yeah. in 2008, The Times ranked him 32nd on their list of 50 greatest British writers since 1945. That's a very specific. Okay, um, <laughs> I guess uh, I would know how to feel about being I guess that's post the war, 30,
0: like 32 on that. Yeah, on a very specific list like
1: that. <laughs> um, back on episode 236, you cited a few interviews Andrew where he spoke a little bit about being a. Like, Japanese author, even though he doesn't think of himself as one, and kind of the tension between the fact that he left, you know, Japan when he was five or six, and is his influences are all over the place, but because sure. of, you know, the name and his photo on book jackets, he gets treated differently. Um, and he has a book coming out in 2021, Clara and the Sun, so if you are a fan of... S-U-N
0: Canvas, or S-O-N? S-U-N. Okay. There'd just be uh, different books depending I mean there on. might be
1: a son in there there might be a, mm-hmm. a you know a male descendant in the book I don't know my large adult son <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did look up this book of course as prep for the episode published in 2015 nominated for a World Fantasy Award as well as the Mythopoeic Award in 2016 which is books centered on like myth and legends for reference name Novik who wrote uh, Spinning Silver which we've covered Mm -hmm. I think she's won that award like twice um, for her novels. Uh, I found multiple like paywalled articles in UK newspapers that I couldn't read all of uh, because I'm not going to start all those free trials um, about (laughs) how his wife Lorna thought the first draft of the buried giant was terrible. Um, Headlines included, my wife thought first draft of buried giant was rubbish And Ishiguro's novel, Delayed by Wife. I really don't like (laughs) the construction of those headlines at all, but uh, there was a New York Times preview. So I guess he's a wife guy. (laughs) I guess he is a wife guy. He's an honorary member of the Wife Guy Club. As part of the release media, you know, plan, whatever you want to call it, he did an interview with New York Times uh, by Alexander Alter. Uh, which I think put it in better context. And the quote is like, uh, his wife looked at it and said, this will not do. I don't mean you need to tweak it. You need to start from scratch. None of this can oh, be seen by anybody. Oh, boy. Uh, How much was, did he change it after that? Well, he started working on it in the mid-aughts and shelved it after her. Oh,
0: geez. Yeah, so it came out in 2015. So that seems yes. like he did take a uh, take a break from it. I would revise the headline to say considerate partner
1: advisors author advises author to jettison garbage. That's my version of the headline. <laughs> How about book delayed? But yeah, just book delayed. I think writer, that's a good, that's a catchy headline. Writer thinks work isn't ready. Um, she said the the language was a bit self-conscious and overly lyrical. it's great strength is eliciting emotion through the story. He's not about beautiful sentences and, Throughout this article, they talk about how he was like trying to figure out how to write the dialogue because it is set, and you'll tell me more about this. It's set in like just after King Arthur's time or like the end of King Arthur's time.
0: Yeah, like I think I'd still classify it as the Arthurian period because you're still dealing with the fallout from his reign, but King Arthur himself is no more, and the knight that we do meet is pretty old and getting on yeah sure um you know
1: and it this article collects a couple of really positive thoughts from other literary authors who have dabbled in in other genres like david mitchell and others um kind of talking about him destigmatizing fantasy which is
0: i i don't think we need to talk about that anymore i feel like in 2015 nobody's destigmatizing fantasy like at a bare minimum i feel like the return of the king movie winning every oscar it was nominated yeah. for in like 2003 or whatever year that was showed that fantasy had been destigmatized. though i i mean i guess it depends on whose perspective you are considering that from but certainly by the like the f- fiction establishment i think that <laughs> fantasy is is not Like people see that and are like, ooh, money, and it's not like a big problem anymore. Yeah, I I, I do think it's probably like a
1: marketing and expectations thing. And he was, uh, Kaz was anxious about it. He said, will readers follow me into this? Will they understand what I'm trying to do? Or will they be prejudiced against the surface elements? Are they going to say this is fantasy? Um, And he talks a bit more about wanting to write a book about collective memory and societies forgetting the past either on purpose or by accident and what the ramifications of that are. And he wanted to avoid a more realistic setting. He thought about setting it during other more modern conflicts and he didn't want it to be like a Pat allegory. Like he wanted it to be this era that was a little more uh, squishy, I guess, like the historical record isn't as solid. And so it's not referencing events that people are going to read a bunch of stuff into. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting it during an era of legend makes sense. Um, and so he read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is this old poem from the 14th century about Sir
0: Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah. And uh, Tolkien, among others, have done translations of this, I think.
1: Oh, OK. I did not know that. Um, I'm
0: pretty sure uh, he did. I, he he There is a book with Tolkien's name on it called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. So I okay. assume it's a translation and not
1: yeah, sure, an original work, so. and it's my understanding that uh, Mr. Gawain is in this novel, um, and that story is like a, like a little poem about being chivalrous and maintaining your knight's code despite temptation. It is also about killing a guy with an axe, but then he isn't dead, and he says, in a year, I'm going to come back and hit you with the same axe. Get ready. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone survives and it ends with Gawain, like everyone being like, Gawain, you, you're great. Like no one is mad at you for anything. Great job, buddy. (laughs) Uh, and he is what he's Arthur's nephew and like the youngest of one of the youngest, if not the youngest of the Knights of the Round. So it makes sense if he's hanging out in this one, in this book, which is supposed to take place after that stuff's kind of wrapped
0: yeah, we'll and, the, and just the the influence of Arthur's reign is fading from the from living memory. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so that's kind of the like the setup that I have. I feel like we could probably just get into the book, unless there's any other setup you want to do.
0: No, I don't think so. I'm just trying to think through like so. There is the bigger plot line that involves uh, Gawain, and there is the. And then there is some smaller, like interpersonal stuff that happens between uh, Axel and Beatrice, the uh, husband and wife who we begin the novel with. So, I think actually it might be better to do the big stuff first, and then zoom in on the on the little stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so to table set, what what happens is we are we meet Axel and Beatrice, and they are living this sort of foggy, confused life where they feel like they're forgetting stuff all the time. And you said they're older people. Yeah, they're older. Okay. Um, They live in this like rabbits, Warren of a village with a bunch of other people. And he just Axel in particular has just these memories that keep coming to him of stuff that seems weird. Like a, a little girl goes missing from the village and everybody's really, uh, upset and looking for her for a while, but then they get distracted, and then they and then even when she shows up, they kind of have forgotten why they would be excited for her to show up in the first place. So it seems like kind of big stuff that people keep forgetting. <laughs> okay,
1: like and about people who they actually know
0: or yeah, and know. and just okay. like and also you know bigger like world event. Like no one's really talking about like history or or mm. why anything is the way it is right now. But um, Beatrice and Axel decide together and Axel had been had been holding out on this for a while, but they have a vague memory that they have a son somewhere in the world <laughs> and they should go and see him. OK. And Axel didn't want to for a, a while, but then he decides, OK, I have changed my mind. I'm going to do this thing that my wife wants to do and we're going to go see our son. So that's the impetus is like they, they both realize that they're forgetting stuff and they realize that it's kind of weird, but no, we, like we don't really know what's going on. Um,
1: so then it's, it sounds like they are like, OK, we're forgetting things. Here is a memory that we have that we can be like, that's a thing, right? So mm-hmm. perhaps to like push against the forgetting, they're like, let's zero in on something that we maybe know is real.
0: I don't even you know bite. if it's like necessarily pushing against the forgetting, though that it does become sort okay. of a theme as we as we go on, and people have to like that's how the the novel builds mystery is like all the characters in it would theoretically know everything <laughs> from the jump. <laughs> that oh, happens okay. In the book, like they would know all the stuff that is motivating everybody, but they can because of the this mist that makes everybody forget everything. Mm. Um that we can kind of discover things as they remember them. And then they can remember things at a pace that, that, uh, that benefits the plot and the pacing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, you, you like, have
1: to dole it out in a way, that makes sense. I don't know that there's a one-to-one, but now I'm just thinking about the movie Dark City, which... I, I don't know that
0: one. I'm not familiar with
1: that I one. watched it because The Matrix happened, and then there was a few years where everyone was like, check out all these other movies that are like The Matrix, and none of them were good. Um,
0: <laughs> anyway. No, it always... Whenever books are, are doing this, like, they trying to keep things that the character should know away from the reader in mm. order to build tension. It always makes me think of Gone Girl and how frustrating the first <laughs> half of that book is. Did you find it frustrating in this book? No, because he sets it up to like be constructed in such a way where it makes sense internally. <laughs> it's not just a character in a book like refusing to think things mm, at sure. you, the reader, so that you don't know what's going on. Okay, great um like it would have been pretty easy for the gun girl guy just to think i didn't kill my wife the would have like been the, pretty right easy beginning. he could have just thought okay i know this is gonna seem weird i know i'm gonna seem super guilty but i didn't kill my wife <laughs> all right now let's go with the rest of the book <laughs> how I much where i the, didn't kill my wife how much do axel
1: and beatrice like know about the mist how is that communicated to you
0: don't really know anything about it except that it's misty and it seems like maybe it's making people forget stuff okay (laughs) sure um it's just weird weather that i'm not even sure they know the like the mist is the cause of people forgetting stuff anyway they they start to go on this journey and they make it to a village that beatrice has been to a few times um and she has, she you know, remembers how to get there kind of by like feel, feeling her way and she had been there like to do trading and stuff with the other people who live there, but was it, it's kind of touch and go a couple times because of how nobody remembers anything. Oh yeah. Uh huh. But they make it to this village and they talk to this guy who's there and he's like, you know, it's this mist makes people forget stuff and, and there's a theory that I don't know, like God doesn't want us to remember things or that, like, is there like is there like or like that that mortal affairs are so trivial that god doesn't care to remember and if he isn't going to remember then why would we like that's that's that theory doesn't actually end up carrying any weight or anything but it's an early s- suggestion for I, like, I like i like that he
1: created room for someone to be like well we we can agree on the facts but here's my theory yeah right all right, here's why I think it's going on. And that makes sense to me. You would rationalize that beings greater than you might be.
0: Especially if you weren't actually going to go out and like look for anything. <laughs> yeah,
1: because you got stuff to do and then forget and then do again, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, they're they in this village. Do they go somewhere else? They're, or? they're in
0: this village, and while they are here, um, it comes to light that a couple of the village's young men have been like kidnapped by ogres or something, um, and a visiting hero, like a visiting warrior, happens to go and to rescue this young man from these vagabonds. Um, but he's been bitten by... He's been wounded by something, um, and everybody in the village is super super they are super superstitious, (laughs) it's what I was stumbled into saying, yeah, okay. Um, so like they they don't want to go near him or something, yeah, like he's been he's been he's been wounded by an ogre, he's probably going to turn into an ogre, oh crap. And so, um, he and this warrior, Wiston, I think the the young man's name is Edwin and the, the warrior, like the traveling warrior's name is Wiston. And they, um, so, uh, Axel and Beatrice have been told, you know, if you, if, okay, got back up a little bit more. Sorry. Yeah, please. Beatrice has like some kind of vague condition that's, that she's, she's in some kind of pain and it's sort of, uh, impeding their travel. And the doctors such as they are in this village are like, yeah, you're, you're basically fine. But if you wanted to ask some more people about it, there are like some monks in a monastery, and it's kind of a tough climb to get up there, but they might know some more. And so they are going to go do that for their own like peace of mind, I guess. And uh, Wiston and Edwin are like, We got, I've got other stuff to do. I'm going to take this boy with me to put him to, you know, deliver him to another village. Where they aren't going to be like throwing rocks at him because they think he's going to turn into an ogre oh because that's obviously not going to happen. It's just superstitious people who think that's going to happen. But there are, but
1: ogres are real. He did ogres get are real. Ogres okay, are real. Okay.
0: Okay. But it's not, you don't turn into an ogre by getting bit by an ogre. Duh. Yeah, duh. Idiots. So they, uh, they momentarily, the four of them team up to travel together and they're going to go to this monastery together.
1: Okay. They're going to the monastery first and then they're yeah. all going to go to the next. And then they're way, yeah, they are going
0: to all go their separate ways. What a ways. good little RPG this is so far. hmm Uh, on their way to the monastery, they run into, so it has been mentioned, uh, as Beatrice and, and Axel, like, travel and, and talk with some people that, um. There is a a knight of Arthur's Round Table, like an elderly knight who is supposed to slay this dragon named Querig, who intermittently comes out and troubles the land. Querig hasn't been seen in a while, but ain't that always the case? <laughs> yeah, but uh, th- this knight, this sort of dot, he's portrayed as kind of doddering and and incompetent, but he's. You know, him and his rusty armor and his old horse are just traipsing around the countryside saying they're gonna go kill this dragon. So we've heard <laughs> about this, which prepares us for actually meeting him, which we do uh when they are on their way to the monastery. This is Sir Gawain, and he is still uh he he can still fight. Like he's still doing okay, but yes, he is old and his armor is well taken care of, but rusty. There's a lot of RPG flavor text about uh, (laughs) clothing and armor that has been that's like worn out but well cared for. You know that particular, sure sort of convention.
1: Rather than letting it break and get new armor, you have used your resources to repair it, and so the game has like
0: rewarded you with
1: some different buffs. And I don't
0: even know if I'm making that comparison. That that's when you are you are writing a fantasy novel and you're trying to you're trying to tell the the reader or the player that some that people maybe don't have a lot of resources but they are but they aren't like slobs they do they do oh they
1: care for the thing yes they, they
0: care for the thing yeah
1: okay sorry i didn't mean to presume that mr gawain had extra buffs that he does not no have. You'll,
0: you'll if i'm talking about rpg stuff i'll let you know please do obviously <laughs> great um Okay, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. You're not b- rambling. But it's everything, all the, the plot lines sort of come up, fly apart and come back together in a this sort of a Seinfeldian sort of way. So all of these, all these five characters have met here. And it comes to light that like Wiston has been. um, So he was a Saxon who was trained by Britons? Britons, Brighton's Britons, Britons,
1: Britons, like Britannia Britons,
0: B R I T O N. Yeah. Britons.
1: Okay. I feel like I've heard it both ways. I've only ever heard it. Britons. Okay. Britons. Or Britons
0: bright Britons. Um, and everybody else in this in this party is a is of well, OK, Edwin's a Saxon. He only speaks Saxon. Beatrice speaks a little bit of Saxon and has been able to communicate with him a little bit. Oh, that's excellent. Excellent. Be- okay. Beatrice and uh, Gawain are all Britons. OK. And they um, like. So. The whoever whatever Saxon Lord uh, Wiston answers to has sent him to kill the dragon oh okay. and Gawain gets a little uppity about it. he's like this is my job like you can't just you gotta promise me that you're not gonna do this because this is my this is my job
1: people write poems about me excuse me do you not know have you not heard and- about me in the green Knight? like let's go i was on tv <laughs> like
0: come on and it also comes to light um in in, in this bit that um that Edwin was not actually hurt by an ogre. He was hurt by, like, a caged uh, baby dragon. That's different. That these ogres also had in their possession. Okay. And for whatever reason, I'm not, this isn't, like, explained in the book, and we're just going to take it at face value. Because he's been hurt by a dragon, he really needs to go and uh, copulate. <laughs> with wait, a dragon he's very he's become dragon horny because he got hurt by a dragon is that a condition that can happen I, to you i guess yeah like poison paralyzed sleep and dragon horny wait are the condition
1: how big the
0: how big is this dragon it's a big dragon and he has to bone just, it? he is he is compelled to do that and Wiston knows that he's been hurt by a dragon and Gawain like sees the wound and is like, oh yeah, I know what's going on here. But he's using him basically as a dragon bloodhound because his, to, to find Sick. where Quarig is. Okay. that because is Because both... dragon, his dragon horniness is leading him to where the dragon is.
1: Okay. This rules and sucks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dragon horniness is kind of eking me out. But mm-hmm. I do like using your dragon horny character your, as like your, a com- as a yeah, dragon your compass, dragon horny
0: squire. Follow, as a way to find the dragon. Yes, you're follow his
1: boner to the dragon, mm-hmm. and you'll get
0: there. Huh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True Nord, so as it were.
0: The next bit we can we can sort of uh, blast by a little bit. But the the rest of the book is um, sort of learning what everybody's actual motivations are, and that they aren't all what they seem. Like Axel and Gawain, and to a lesser extent, Axel and Wiston have some sort of shared past that Axel doesn't recall because of the their forgetfulness.
1: Can I ask, um, are Gawain and Wiston also beholden to the effects of the mist, or is that mostly an Axel thing?
0: It's mostly an Axel thing. Uh, Gawain's not really for reasons that we'll talk about, and then Wiston was sent on this mission specifically because he seems to have some kind of resilience against like magical effects. Dig it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. So we learn we you know we learn that these characters have some as yet unexplained uh, connection to each other. Um, when at a, at some point when we're in Gawain's head, it is revealed that. Um, Axel and Gawain were both like subjects of of King Arthur and they were both knights and there was this sort of treaty or, or pact or something where none of the combatants in this war between the Britons and the Saxons would attack like women, children, like civilians. It was a thing that was meant to keep the war from becoming like, this intergenerational, like, hate-driven thing. Because, yeah, like, if, if you're not allowed to, like, just scorched earth kill everybody, then it's more likely that the people will be able to get along later after the war is over. And this is, in fact, what happens for a while. Like, Axel presides over this peace where the Britons and the Saxons like even as the Saxons are being like conquered they're still being like treated pretty well and it's it helps hold things together and then for some reason Arthur goes back on that and kills everybody oh sweet I didn't expect it to be Arthur and Axel is really really mad about it (laughs) okay Um, because he feels like this this you know this condition has been created where nobody's ever going to know peace ever again so keep that in your mind okay we will do plugging um, it in yeah uh you so said, yeah wait, we can, find out wait, the thing you said about that
1: like, you said that this was from you learned this from gawain's pov or like a loose pov, POV or something it's yeah it's basically his pov okay okay um, just wondering how that works but
0: yeah so i and i guess you know what you need to know about like edwin and and wiston like Edwin is like Wiston does fully intend to train Edwin to be like a warrior, like he sees that he has a warrior's, you know, spirit. Once he uh, lets him bone that dragon he, down Once or this whatever. dragon horniness runs its course. <laughs> he he sows some wild oats, as it were. Um and then Beatrice and Axel, like sort of it's clear they have a long shared history. Beatrice is probably the is the only character, I think, of these four who we don't spend any time in the head of. And so we don't really learn fully what her deal is. But she and Axel, clearly, as much as they want to remember stuff and they want to see their son, it, it becomes clear through their relationship that maybe not all of the things that are being forgotten are bad things. <laughs>
1: Yes. Okay, I I read some stuff in reviews that alluded to that, which
0: and that yeah, yeah, and that that becomes a bigger thing when you zoom out to the relationship between the Britons and the Saxons. Like they are all living together in relative peace and harmony right now because they can't remember why they would be upset at each other.
1: <laughs> huh. The the like, what if the opposite of the Hatfields and the McCoys, essentially? Like, or what could-
0: if there were Hatfields and McCoys, but there was mist that a dragon was breathing that made them all forget why they hated each other for a while.
1: yes, exactly that. Cuz that True. is
0: what's happening is the mist is coming from Querig. They find this out at the monastery, I believe. Is it like and his farts or like what is where is the it's mist? It's just
1: like it's like the, his
0: breath. Sick as farts. People expel wind in ways that aren't just farts. Well, he's don't a dragon. Farts. I don't know
1: how dragons. how dragons do, and it's it's like visible mist that's making people forget. Well, things. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna explain to you. I, I I'm gonna explain to you why it's not farts. It's specifically please, not
1: farts. Please explain to me why it is not farts. <laughs> I've been waiting.
0: So as uh you know our the party is split again for a while. Like it's Beatrice and Axel. Terrible trying- idea. Yeah, trying to make it to see their son, but sort of getting redirected in the direction of this dragon over and over again. Wiston and Edwin are going, aided by Edwin's dragon horniness, and then Gawain just knows where the dragon is, because (laughs) actually Gawain has been guarding the dragon. Oh, no. And that's why, even though he's been in the countryside for these many decades and his like stated mission is to kill Querig. that's why Querig still not is not dead
1: so it's like the movie Dragonheart with Dennis Quaid where he strikes a deal with the dragon to voiced by the late Sean Connery to keep it alive mm-hmm. and it's not like that at all but I don't know I um, don't know
0: this one either so I can't tell you how much it's <laughs> like the movie Dragonheart
1: but it is that is one where someone it is probably not what's happening in this story but like the hero strikes a deal with the dragon so it looks like he's always killing him but actually they're just like preserving the looney tunes style uh wolf and sheepdog thing
0: that's not really what's going on in this one either um so, <laughs> so okay so arthur was a jerk right and he yeah, killed his Yeah you all told me Saxons. that yeah um but he knows that you know if 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 something doesn't happen then everybody's just going to hate each other forever so you got to reimpose peace over now arthur's motivations again we don't really get any pov from him we don't we don't know what his motivations in deciding to go scorched earth and causing this issue are in the first place it's possible that he just didn't think that that was a viable Like Axel's way of doing it was a viable long-term solution in the first place. Okay, but what happens is uh, Gawain and a few other knights and Merlin himself whoa are all sent to uh, Querig, and all the knights are supposed to fight and distract Querig while Merlin casts the spell on Querig that makes Querig's breath be this like forgetful mist. Okay,
1: okay, thanks, Merlin.
0: Yeah. Um, and so this is a long time ago. Everybody but Gawain is who was involved in this, I believe, is dead at this point. because um, yeah, Axel was not involved. He had kind of broken with sure, with Arthur at this point. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, and so Wiston is on this on this quest to kill this dragon because partly because um, whoever is in charge of him has decided that they wanna. You know, they've got tons and tons of Saxon people embedded in enemy territory, if only they will get mad enough to like take up arms and fight. Huh. Okay. So yeah. he's trying to start a war, basically. But you need to like wake the people up. Matrix. Yeah. Style. So yeah, sure. Um so Gawain's actually trying to protect the dragon and not kill it. Um, Wiston wants to kill the dragon, but has been living among Britons for a very long time and so grudgingly respects many of them, including, um, uh, gawain they have a fight to the death that Wiston wins but it's very uh like it's very noble and like two heroes fighting it out two, two, sure. two heroes fighting it out knowing that they have to not feeling great about it okay okay um sort of that sort of whole deal has you it, know that that's i think that's <laughs> another trope too yeah. yeah 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 does
1: axel's backstory get i presume it gets revealed to at least Axel, if not other people.
0: Yeah, like he remembers bits and pieces as he's pressed by like Gawain and and Okay. Okay. with uh Wiston. Because he Gawain knows him because they both like worked under Arthur together for a while. Uh Wiston knows him because while when Wiston was a boy, like Axel and other like Arthurian people would come to Saxon territories and kind of keep the peace for a while. So like even though Wiston deeply hates most Britons. He does have these conflicted feelings about them because for a while when he was a boy, like some of them were sort of hero figures to him mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah, so queer gets killed uh Edwin's dragon horniness fades they're they're gonna go and <laughs> yeah. and do their thing war wise I think, okay, um but you know, all the forgetfulness begins to fade and and so we now okay, so now we come to. Axel and Beatrice's thing and then that's pretty much it for the plot of the book. I don't know if you want to ask questions now or if you just want to get through this. I no tell me about
1: tell me about Axel and Beatrice because I think it, it marries from what I have s- seen in reviews like you alluded to at the top of the podcast like their interpersonal thing is a micro version of the macro Anglo-Saxon or Britain-Saxon thing.
0: So, yeah. so what uh, early on in their journey before they even get to this first village where they meet uh, Wiston and Edwin and and set off on the main quest. They, you know, Rainstorm take refuge in this sort of rundown little uh, old structure off the side of the road. And they meet this old woman and this boatman who they end up sort of adjudicating a conflict between like the, so the old woman says this boatman took my husband to an island and he says he was going to come back and get me but then he didn't and the boatman is like listen the way that I do things we can only we can only let people come to this island together and the island is sort of loosely the afterlife I think
1: oh okay
0: like loosely understood to be the afterlife Um, he's like only people who have a very deep and enduring love can be on this island together and we ask, you know, as like a screening test, we ask each member of the of the relationship separately some questions and their answers dictate like whether they love each other enough to be on the island at the same time and you fail the test. This is
1: wait, so there's like okay. So the newly wed game part two is mm-hmm. the oldly wed game at the end of your life where where you're you, up at
0: the pearly gates and St. Yes. Peter's like asking. And you Chuck Woolery is like, where your right. favorite place to make whoopee is. Yes. And if you don't get the answer right, then you don't get into heaven that together. You gotta sucks. go to different heavens. <laughs> How do they adjudicate this conflict then? I mean, this this is just. They, they end up taking the boatman's side. Because, I mean, the woman has been kind of haunting him yeah. a little bit. Like. <laughs>
1: Okay, Just like
0: following him around and killing rabbits in front of him and just kind of being a creepo. So they end up taking like they they say it seems like the boatman has the right of the argument. They don't they don't like fix anything. But it sets up this question that they keep coming back to where like we're together and we love each other. But also we don't remember a lot of stuff. And what happens if we do remember everything and we end up not loving each other enough to get on the boat with Charon or whoever, and spend the rest of our lives on this on this heaven island together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so the book ends like they, they are after Querig is killed. It's almost like with with the dragons, like magic receding from the land, like their life force starts to ebb too. Like they're both old and not in great shape. But it seems like things accelerate a little bit after Querig dies. But they are like they remember oh yeah our son is dead and he's buried on an island i think and so they go to a boatman and and it's not the same boatman i don't think like literally the same guy but it's the, he has the same job <laughs> okay <laughs> and they both talk to him and he's like oh yeah you guys love each other enough to to be on this island together forever but i do have to take you one at a time like my boat's not big enough you you both got to go separately so i swear i'm going to take your wife and i'm going to come back and i'm going to get you and axel doesn't doesn't like this at all and they the, the whole book they both kind of had a, a anxiety about being separated from each other just because the landscape is dangerous and also they don't remember stuff always super great yeah sure uh but the book ends with axel like begrudgingly saying okay you can take her and we don't like it it is up to the reader to determine what, whether they actually yeah. like end up on the island together or not huh that's kind of it doesn't it feel that's, that's the whole thing
1: does that feel like as you were reading it what is the effect of that what is what was your experience of that sequence of the end there between the two of them
0: i mean it's it is a it's a way to, it, it is an ending. Like, I know that's like, that's kind of a cop-out answer, but, like, if you are going to do this whole thing and you're not going to end it with a war or you're not going to end it with the dragon getting killed, like, if, if you're going to center it on this couple and you're going to tell this whole story around them, but it's also going to be the story of this couple, then as, like, a denouement to bring the like because the stakes have been bigger for a while yeah because we've been talking about the dragon and we've been talking about like the the britons and the saxons and their relationship to each other and and yeah this and what happens to like what arthur's legacy is and how he's remembered and and whatever like we've been talking about that stuff for a while and then we zoom back in on beatrice and axel because we started the book that way and it adds yeah a bit of like a bit of mystery but also just like a narrative shape to the book that I think works better maybe than if it started small and then had to end really big if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: no, I I agree. Does it did it make you feel any feelings? That's my real question actually. Or like what kind of read do you have on what happened to them?
0: I don't know. Like it I feel like maybe they don't end up together.
1: And like maybe that's okay okay or we just have to deal
0: with that i don't even know if it's if it's that it's okay it's just like i feel like i don't there's something that i don't know that is that's about what's like passed between them i feel like especially mm. on axel's end i feel like maybe he's done some things or been responsible for some things that beatrice maybe could not live with if she knew all about but we don't we explore some of that but we don't explore it super fully and he just Axel seems really worried about being left behind, which makes me feel like Sure. He yeah. like doth protest too much a little bit.
1: Well, and and you it know? might it, it could be an interesting payoff too. You said that there was anxiety about them being separated. So like the, if the end of the narrative is that like they have to live or he has to live with the possibility of them being separated, like that's enough. Like obviously Kaz is cutting it off before you get a clear answer on purpose, which you talked about, but mm-hmm. The sitting with the worst possible option, quote unquote, is like the point. Maybe sure. it feels like mm-hmm. um, I, it may or may not have been the dragon farts affecting me. I do want to. Uh, I, I have a correction <laughs> as something I said earlier. I referenced Chuck Woolery. Um, Bob Eubanks was the host of the Newlywed Game, so I just wanted Chuck Woolery host, hosted Love Connection. Um, and he's I don't, also
0: just a real
1: yeah. He sucks. So I'm sorry sucks. I brought him up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, I I just want I couldn't let that stand. Uh, on I'm the glad record.
0: that you I'm glad that you corrected the Ex-
1: record. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, can you tell me have, about why it's anything. called
0: the buried giant? Oh yeah, the buried giant is the relationship between the Britons and the Saxons. This this enmity between these two peoples has been buried because of this dragon mist, mm-hmm. and you are exhuming that giant by killing the dragon and and. Like, sure um gawain tries to prevail upon uh Wister not to do this because if you just let people not know for a little bit longer everybody who would know that they were supposed to be mad will have forgot will have died of natural causes <sighs>
1: that's an interesting oh so gawain's point being like listen let another generation go
0: pretty much yeah
1: and then when the dragon then then we just kill the dragon cuz Well the that dragon, dragon.
0: well the dragon's in pretty bad shape. The dragon's going to die of natural causes. Oh. <laughs> I before didn't know that. before okay. like too too long. But yeah, within like I don't know, like 20 30 40 however long it takes for that to happen, just let the dragon live as long as it's going to live and then by the time it actually just dies and the mist goes away, enough people will have passed on that that like Arthur's original design will have come to pass, I guess. Okay, sure.
1: How did you feel about, I'm sort of changing topics right now. When you introduced Axel and Beatrice, I was, and as I was reading about the book, I was struck by like a fantasy book, uh, or at least a book that's trafficking in, in fantasy tropes and stuff, like centering on an older couple as its primary characters. Like did that strike you at all as you were reading it? Because they get introduced way before anybody, any like knights or anything like that, right? Like, that's not typical. I mean, it does
0: set a tone for it to not be like... Action-adventure stuff. Yeah, like, I was going to say swashbuckling, but that has like a pirate connotation that I don't think (laughs) is really appropriate. But it does, it creates a different narrative than it does when you are like oh i am a i am an 18 year i am a 17 to 20 year old young man who's leaving my village for the first time yeah what will i what will i find on the road like it, it is you sort of get a sense that you're watching a coda to something from the start i guess if yeah. you're gonna tie it into the themes of the of the book so yeah it was it was kind of interesting. Um, I have some review
1: quotes. As I alluded to earlier, most of the reviews start with a real just like, listen, all his books are different, so you got to buckle up.
0: Where do these reviews come from?
1: Um, The first, well, not the ones that you're going to sing about. I'll get there in a second. Um, The first one is from The Guardian. This is Alex Preston, um, who says, it is possible to construct specific interpretations for Ishiguro's novel. We can view the buried giant, quote unquote, as the way history has been swept over any number of genocides from Armenia to Rwanda. It may even be an, exploration, an explanation for the disappearance of the Britons, killed not by marauding Saxons, but by their own guilt. Focusing on one single reading of its story of mists and monsters, swords and sorcery reduces it to mere parable. It is much more than that. It is a profound examination of memory and guilt of the way we recall past trauma en masse. Did you find yourself, like, comparing what the book was up to to anything in particular, or were you able to just kind of take it as it came? I mean, I just kind of read the book. (laughs) Yeah, but I was just asking if it reminded you of any. It feels like he specifically constructed it to dissuade you from, like, filling in modern connections. I don't know if that was your experience
0: I at think, all. I mean, listen, I think the modern connections are there too. And I think that's an interesting interpretation of the book that you read. But like, I don't know. I read, I'm, I was reading this and I was tired and I was just kind of reading a book. Well, I was, but I, I think the reviewer is actually saying that you
1: shouldn't bring specific things to it. Like you, it invites questions about generational forgetfulness and like cultural collective memory but it is deliberately set up to not be about any one of those things.
0: I mean it, it I, I don't I did not instantly pick like a situation that it would have been allegorical to if, that, yeah. if that's what you're asking. But also I am not confident enough as a like <laughs> sure. student of, of history to especially like Arthurian era history and like dark ages England and like the and the angles and the Saxons and all their (laughs) nonsense. Like I just, I don't know enough about that to read that into it. So I wasn't trying to, (laughs) I wasn't trying to reach for a half baked uh, historical comparison. No. And I don't don't think Kaz
1: wants our good friend Kaz. I don't think he wants you to in that New York times article. He mentions being interested in this kind of underwritten legendary historical space that isn't going to invite those comparisons so it sounds like you did what kaz wanted
0: well it's i am aware of the arthurian like cycle as being like big enough and vague enough to invite what is like this kind of fan fiction about it that doesn't like necessarily directly contradict any of the stuff that happened or that like adds to the legend, but like not everything is the same level of canon, so we don't really worry about (laughs) yes. We don't really worry about including other events from like Gawain's life or 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 whatever. Yeah, Um, that's not useful. Um
1: so I do hit hit me with the song in a second. I do have some three-star Goodreads reviews.
0: Three-star Goodreads reviews.
1: Great. So first one is from Ashley who said that uh she loved Remains of the day, liked Never Let Me Go. Hmm Here's the quote The buried giant is very deliberately constructed, and as a piece of literature, I do think it has value. I enjoy thinking about it on an intellectual level, but due to stylistic choices Ishiguro made, I did not connect with it the way I have
0: with his writing before. Did you have any issues with the stylistic choices, Andrew? Only insofar as they didn't leave a huge impression. Like, I, I guess Gawain's interior voice, when we're hearing it, is like vaguely more like stuffy and high fantasy, but, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, and one reason I think why maybe I haven't read specific passages, not that I didn't highlight any, I just don't, I, have, I haven't I have felt the need to read anything to illustrate any of the points that I've been making because the, the plot and like the overall shape of the thing is maybe a little more interesting than the, like the nuts and bolts of, of how the story is put together.
1: Um, that drives with what I remember of never let me go. Like I could not, think about a moment that i was like oh i gotta read this sentence from that book um and it doesn't seem steeped in the style of that era it's just like yo he wrote a book with some stuff in it yeah Mm -hmm. um also a three-star good review from william two i don't know what william one thinks about this book
0: (laughs) sequel to william
1: but william two says i am an ishiguro enthusiast if ever there was one Hmm. i have read his oeuvre that's why it pains me a little to say that I found the Berry Giant disappointing. I say this not because I think Ishiguro's skills as a novelist are one whit duller than usual, but because I did not care for the story or its characters. They did not engage me. He's going after a new readership with this book. He's going
0: after the vast fantasy market. Do you that think this That sort is of ascribes pitched? a, like a, what's the word I want? Like a... Cynicism, or like a, or like a money chasing motive to this book (laughs) that I don't think necessarily exists. Like I didn't read this and think like, man, this is gonna be like the next Harry Potter and they're gonna make ten movies about it. And I can't believe he sold out when he wrote The Very Giant. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that's what uh, that's what old William too is implying, but it seems to be. It seems to be what he's
1: saying. Yeah, and you, and, and it seems like he came to a new Ishiguro book because he's like, I like this guy's stuff uh and oh wait this one's fantasy no thank you it's certainly you have read a bunch of fantasy books you like the wheel of time series or at least have experienced it um tolkien etc like <laughs> where does this where does the vibe of this one place relative to like if someone is a fa- if they like i like fantasy books is this going to be cool for them what should they expect maybe
0: different i wouldn't i mean if if you came to me and gave me that list of like series fantasy novels you would not recommend yeah i would not be like oh you should totally read the bear giant like it, it is like i said partly because of of the people it chooses to center on it feels like a like a an ending to something and it's not it's not going out of its way to be about like a particular hero's journey or like you know, growing up and then coming back home or, you know, there and back again, sort of fantasy stuff. Like, it's just it doesn't fit cleanly into that archetype. And it's also not trying to upend mm. some of those conventions in a way that I think, like, Song of Ice and Fire does in its better moments. Yep, sure. Like, it's just, it's not that interested in playing around in that sandbox, I don't think. Partly, I mean, maybe partly because it is it is going back further. Yeah. Like it it is referring to specific like real world mythology instead of trying to make up its own thing, I guess. Yeah.
1: Nothing of what you've said in our time together here today sounds anything like our conversations about fantasy novels where it's like, okay, what type of world did the author build? Like what are the priorities of this world building? What is the scope of it? What, how does that reinforce the themes? Like that seems not on the table here. It seems like yeah, like
0: it's just it's kind of like Earth, but like sometimes there are fantasy creatures there,
1: <laughs> which is just Haley. yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah, um, but you sounds like you dug it though. You have enjoyed an it. I'm not going to say I
0: didn't enjoy it. It's it. I just don't. I don't think I would put it into a fantasy fiction genre bubble. Okay. Um. Yeah, and and I think maybe more than some of the other books that we read, like talking about the plot and the themes, like we do on this show, is maybe more spoilery than it normally is because that's kind of what the book is up to. Like, it's, I don't, yeah. I'm not, you don't come away with this being like, man, Axel is such a rad character, <laughs> and I love Edwin, how dragon horny he was. Like, there there are cool ideas to talk about, but. None of these characters, I think, are are anybody I would write home about.
1: It seems like it really hinges on the effect of revealing what has been forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reasons why it was forgotten and you're, and like then invites you, the reader, to be like, how do you feel about that? Think about yeah. it. Yeah. What would you forget? <laughs> I would forget any food I ate that gave me a tummy ache. That's what I would forget.
0: I See, I wouldn't want to forget that because then I would eat it again and get another tummy ache.
1: Yeah, but what if it was good food that gave me a tummy? Ache? That's really what I meant. It's like good food that would give me a tummy ache. I would like to forget because I would
0: like to still enjoy the Cause food. Because you would like to enjoy it, but then you still get the tummy ache. Hmm. It's hmm. so a real catch 22. <laughs> I would like to forget when we watched Solo, a Star Wars story.
1: I saw someone on Twitter whose opinions I respect about other things saying that Solo was good and I can't believe it. I don't, it's know, not how good. To, don't know where to put it's my not feelings.
0: Good. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. To borrow a phrase I really think is kind of disgusting. Actually, I would like to forget that, too. (laughs) But mostly, yeah, I would like to forget watching Solo Star Wars Story. Okay. Thank you. Send us in an email
1: about what you would like to forget and whether or not it's related to our Thorian legend at Overdupod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at Overdupod.com with other things you would like to forget, except you're putting them on the internet, so no one will ever forget them. Uh, thanks to William, Brendan, Kate, Benny, Jesselyn, Darwin, Yelena, Amber, and many more for reaching out to us in the past week. Thanks to Nick Larandes, who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They
0: should go to overduepodcast.com, which is a website on the internet. And we have links to Apple and Google and our RSS feed. And we're on Stitcher, and we're on Spotify. And you should visit us at... patreon.com slash overdue pod as well give us a little bit of money if you want if you got it and uh, get some access to some bonus content early Uh, we also have links to the books that we have read and are going to read we're getting to the end of November Uh, next week Craig reads The Graduate by Charles Webb and then we will be posting um uh, on the website and our social feeds our december schedule some point in the next like week or week and a half
1: i'm already a chapter into the graduate and yo that book starts fast i did not anticipate getting to the thing you know about the graduate in like the first
0: 20 pages my yeah my memory of the movie is that it also goes pretty fast so buckle up vroom yeah. vroom 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 it's time for a fast one <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to our book podcast. And until we talk to you next week, try to be happy.
1: The HeadGum Podcast.